Good afternoon, Adelaide, and uh, thanks very much for joining us for the ANZ Emerging Economic Series, where we're where we're trying to have a, a broad look at the Australian economy and then drill down into some of the the themes that are occurring and the the themes that are going to shift markets, maybe and investment decisions and things. So I wonder, you're the senior economist at ANZ. I wonder if you can give us an overview of of where Australia is tracking, because we have got a, a very fractured country in terms of states locked down, not locked down, coming into lockdowns. What, what's your overall view of it? The economic loss that we do expect to see this year will be concentrated in those lockdown cities like Sydney and Melbourne, as well as regional New South Wales and Victoria. Even if those areas aren't in lockdown, if the capital cities of those states are, then they do lose out on a lot of that tourism related spending. So there definitely is a really big difference in the economic loss we can expect from New South Wales and Victoria compared to other parts of Australia. The good news is though, even though the Delta variant has caused more cases of COVID, you know, more lockdowns, longer lockdowns and, and more people in lockdowns, it's actually creating a smaller overall economic loss. So we saw a loss of 7% of GDP last year. We're only expecting to see about half of that this year. Part of the reason for that is that we have adapted over the last 18 months, whether that means businesses learning how to have uh, remote workers, um, cafes and restaurants, um, setting up infrastructure for more online and delivery related services, people moving out of tourism exposed jobs into other sectors, all of that put us in a much better stead for this particular challenge. And we also have a lot more certainty. Consumers are less scared about losing jobs. Um, the government has shown they're willing to keep spending money um, to reduce the risk of a big economic downturn. And this all really plays into households spending more, businesses earning more, and, um, and less of that kind of risk of spiraling to very high unemployment and low spending. Because one of the interesting things that we have seen is we had a first wave of lockdowns and then Victoria had a long lockdown, but the pattern was people recovered very quickly. The, the initial impact was sharp, acute, and then there was a recovery and people sort of, we almost came back to normal. But now, inevitably, what we're going to see is COVID normal will mean perhaps you know fewer lockdowns, but maybe still restrictions and it will be a much more um, longer term impact. So does that that affect the way that you see the rebound playing out? Yeah, so there are going to be some ways in which the world does stay different and which the Australian economy stays different right after lockdowns. And there'll be other things that will be just as temporary as the lockdowns themselves. So, for example, we've seen through, you know, Melbourne's iterative lockdowns that um, once lockdowns end, not only do people go back to spending their kind of normal amount of money, but we actually see a real spike in spending. So people are making up for lost time, spending way more right after they're able to access bricks and mortar retail and access socializing and things like that. Um, so that is a, one thing that we won't really see have a we don't really expect to have a scarring effect once lockdowns end. But there are other parts of the economy like the increased popularity of remote working, which will create much longer term structural impacts. So 
you know, the Australian Bureau of Statistics has done a few surveys on this. It's found that a lot of people really like working from home and want to continue that at least part time past those kind of lockdowns and physical restrictions. 70% of large businesses are uh, in have intentions in the long term to accommodate remote working. And really, a lot of businesses don't have much choice on that front because there are far more job vacancies than there were before the pandemic. There are far uh, fewer unemployed people, at least coming into Delta. And so what we're seeing is a really different bargaining experience between employers and employees. And if you can attract talent without spending a lot more on wages, that's always something that an employer is likely to do. And one way they can do that is by allowing flexibility and allowing people to work from home. So um, we're also seeing that people are spending more on larger dwellings and asking builders to add home office spaces to newly built homes. All of these things wouldn't really be happening if people thought that in two to three months, there'd be no more working from home after lockdown. So there's gonna be some of those structural changes. They push out economic activity from the city centers and kind of spread them out a little bit more across suburbs and regions, whether that's, you know, cafes or retail or, you know, business operations. Uh, and it also changes kinds of products and services that people really want as well. And you've touched on something there that there is considerable debate about at the moment. And there's a stark difference between New Zealand and Australia, for example, in this case. And that's labour pressures, the shortage of labour. And typically a shortage of labour means an increase in wages and an increase in wages means higher inflation. And it flows through to the, the macro picture. The Reserve Bank of Australia doesn't appear that worried about it. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand does appear more worried about it. So do we do you have an expectation of of how those labor pressures are going to play out and will they flow into higher uh, higher wages and then ultimately inflation? We do expect to see that wage growth does strengthen over the next couple of years as a result of these labour shortages. But because so many people in Australia do work part time, there are quite a lot of underemployed people. Just because you have fewer people who are unemployed doesn't mean that you don't have people applying for jobs. We have seen an improvement in underemployment in Australia since uh, the last six months or so, um, but it is still at historical kind of relatively high. And that means that we do see a little bit of a breakdown in the relationship between the level of unemployment and the level of wage growth. We think that by the end of 2023, we'll see unemployment down uh, to around 4%. In July, the latest data was around 4.6%. Um, and you know, in that time, we also expect to see underemployment come down. We expect to see wage growth come up to 3% year on year and inflation will come up to around the 2% mark at that time as well. What the RBA needs to balance when it comes to some of these inflation risks is all of the reasons kind of not to uh, tighten their cash rate faster than they have to, which is, you know, very high amounts of debt. We expect housing credit to be something that grows quite a lot in the next couple of years, uh, as well as the fact that so many other countries have very low interest rates and that can create currency risks. So the Reserve Bank will, will still be cautious even once those criteria are met of 3% wage growth and 2% inflation. And so we don't think that they'll change the cash rate until early 2024. But the criteria that they've been talking about to 
um, what they want to see before they move the cash rate up will probably be done and dusted by mid to late 2023. It's going to be a slow road to see wage growth. And if we do see wage growth at 3% year on year in 2023, that'll be the first time that it hits 3% uh, in 10 years. The last time it hit 3% was in 2013. And when we when we look at the impacts that you've been talking, that you touched on earlier, uh, in recent decades, when we've seen recessions, what tends to happen is the sector's hardest hit recover the fastest. And in this current recession, you know, it's it's driven by COVID. So what we've seen is obviously airline travel is not possible. The leisure market has been hit. The hospitality industry has been hit. And there were signs that after some lockdowns, they would rebound very quick, uh, quickly. But now we're talking about longer term impacts. So we're going to see that same pattern of hardest hit sectors recovering the fastest or are we going to see some of them with more sub, uh, subdued growth prospects like CBD property for example? What the pandemic has done has created a really unique type of recession. This isn't a recession or economic downturn that has been led by a financial crisis or a breakdown in financial markets. It's not because people don't have money. It's because people don't have freedom of movement. And what that means is the pattern of the recovery becomes really, really different to your usual recession, where it's about financial flows rather than people being able to physically move around. That means that certain things bounce back far quicker. So Compared to you know last year, we saw uh, the unemployment rate peak at 7.5% and it was back down to its pre-recession rate within months, usually even a decade after a recession. In Australia, we do tend to see a higher unemployment rate than before the recession. Things tend to shoot right up when it comes to unemployment or other problems in the economy and then they slowly recover whereas with a health crisis because physical restrictions are the big factor once those physical restrictions go away so do a lot of those problems and that can create a much faster recovery in some of those key economic measures but what it also does is it can create really long flow on effects i mean you can consider um, airport security in the us as an example of this after 9 11 we saw a permanent increase in airport security and after COVID, we're likely to see a permanent increase in certain parts of the economy, whether that's part-time working from home, more online shopping, you know, more difficulty in international travel. Um, some things won't stay the same or go back to normal, whereas other things will recover a lot quicker than a usual recession. So things like consumer spending and employment, very cyclical, they'll recover a lot quicker, but things like international travel likely to recover a lot slower, even though it has been one of the hardest hit sectors. And just to, to sort of wrap this up on a, a particular subject, and uh, you and I and our producer Lockie were talking about this before we started recording, property prices. I'm sure we're not alone in Australia, people discussing property prices. How do you see the factors in property prices from an investment perspective? Uh, obviously, for first home buyers, there's particular challenges, but in the investment market in property with rental yields, what's your picture on the property market? 
So the property market this time around has had a really strong boom that's been led by owner occupiers in the first instance. So when we think about the big housing boom between 2013 and 2017, that was very much an investor led market. We were seeing housing prices go up because of a really big increase in investor demand during those years. This time around, the big increase did come from people trying to upgrade or buy their first home. It was for homes that people wanted to live in rather than rent out. We have seen a return of invested demand as well, which has come later in the piece, but it hasn't really been quite the same as the magnitude of extra owner occupied demand. So what that means is that we will see a different pattern of the types of homes that are in demand, the types of property prices that are increasing, and also the types of regulations and changes that will slow things down. So we've seen more houses being in demand. We've seen more houses being built compared to, you know, uh, attached dwellings right up until recently. And um, we've also seen more suburban and regional activity compared to CBD activity. This is something that will be, you know, a structural movement. It's going to probably take quite a long time for the CBD to find its feet in the new kind of post-COVID or COVID economy with so many people working from home. Um, whereas for bigger dwellings, you know, having an extra home office space is becoming you know, that structural, you know, increase, particularly for owner occupiers. So, you know, we do expect to to see these things slow down but from a much broader sense than what we saw in regulations last time. So last time it was all about cooling off investor lending. And this time it's probably more about cooling off borrowing capacity among everybody. Very low interest rates have created big leaps in borrowing capacity over the last couple of years, uh, as well as the decrease in the mortgage serviceability buffer we saw in 2019. And so we're likely to see that you know, if you do go for a mortgage, maybe six or 12 months from now, you may have to prove that you can afford to borrow more than the advertised rate plus 2.5 percentage points. There may also be some more limitations on high debt to income loans or low deposit loans. So more than one in five people who are getting a new loan right now are asking and getting more than six times their income in debt. This is something that will create higher indebtedness in Australia that has financial stability risks. That's when regulators step in. Unlike um, New Zealand, where the Reserve Bank of New Zealand does have a mandate around housing prices now when they look at their cash rate, the Reserve Bank in Australia doesn't have that. So it's really up to regulators to have a look at those financial stability risks for the Reserve Bank to look at the financial stability part of it, not the pricing part of it, and um, because of the extra lending that we are seeing, we're likely to see that trigger some tightening from, from both those people. But certainly from regulators first up, the Reserve Bank at the moment has been pretty clear that they think the increase in business lending from very cheap rates is better than the cost when it comes to housing affordability and housing credit. Well, thanks very much. Hopefully for both of us, our banks are nice to us when we ask for some money to buy a house. But Thanks for those insights, Adelaide. It's been a fascinating discussion and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much.